The following message entitled, The Sovereign Humble God, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 21st of December, 2014. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Seeing these risers here brings back memories from when I was in high school. Did I ever, did I ever tell you about when I was on the risers in high school? I'll tell you. Since I'm becoming my dad, I'll tell you again. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, but I was in the boys' glee club in high school. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there was, uh, we had a Christmas concert every year at, uh, at the high school, and uh, our director was named Mr. Pollock, and he was a great guy, but I was very frustrating to him because I had a hard time taking it seriously. And uh, we were doing the song um, that has the part in it, In the meadow we can build a snowman. What's the name of that song? Winter Wonderland, yeah. And there was a guy, there was a guy who was a year younger than me, who had a really good voice. His name was John. And so in that song, Winter Wonderland, John stood about three people away from me, and he had the solo. And so at the part, at the part where it would say, in the meadow we can build a snowman, he would step forward, and the light would shine on him, and he would sing all by himself. The rest of us had to shut up, and he would sing, in the meadow we can build a snowman. And he had a very operatic voice. And uh, I was always annoyed at him. And he, he didn't like me much either. So the night before, dress rehearsal. Poor Mr. Pollock. This is dress rehearsal. Everything trying to get perfect for the, for the concert the next night. Every time we would come to that part, John would step out, but I would also step out. And I would act like I was going to sing. I could, and then the, then the light would shine on him, and I'd act all embarrassed and step back in. And um, everybody would start laughing. <laughs> he, had a, he had about two times or three times in the song where he would do that. And every time, and Mr. Pollock was just pulling his hair out. Um, I didn't do that during the concert, though. I kept my place. All right, well, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this morning's message is called The Sovereign Humble God. Let's pray first. Jesus, thank you for what we're celebrating in this season, that our God would become a human being to save us and rescue us. Jesus, we thank you for your word, that you speak to us through your word that the God who created the universe would speak to us. And I pray this morning, Lord, we pray that Your Word would build us up and encourage us and strengthen us. I pray, Jesus, that as, as we look at Your Word, that we would have faith arise in our hearts, that those who do not yet know You, Jesus, that faith to believe in You, Jesus, would rise in their hearts, that You would give the gift of faith this morning, Lord. You would 
draw many to Yourself and for the rest of us, Lord, increase our faith and build us up in our faith to see who You are and what You've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This morning, we will see as we look at this passage that the God, our God, who is sovereign over all, humbled Himself to rescue us from our sins And we'll look at some of the implications of that. What does it matter that God humbled Himself to rescue us? So let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like your life was at the mercy of someone else? Maybe in a small way, maybe in a bigger way. Maybe your boss makes your life miserable. Maybe you feel like the government has far more control over your life than you'd like it to. Well, imagine Joseph and Mary when Caesar Augustus required that all the Roman world, all the known world, should be registered in his census. Mary is nine months pregnant, about to have a baby any day. And they have to travel from Galilee to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem in Judea, which was 80 miles away. And Mary may well have ridden a donkey. We always see pictures of her on a donkey. Well, because she was nine months pregnant, she may well have ridden one. It doesn't say that in here. But Joseph would probably have had to walk. So it would be like traveling from here to Steubenville, Ohio. So imagine when you're tempted to grumble about Obamacare or your taxes or your homework the prof, your prof assigns you, just be glad you don't have to ride a donkey to Steubenville at nine months pregnant. So first we're going to look at the sovereignty of God. When we say God is sovereign, we mean He is in control of all things. Every atom in the universe, God knows where it is and is in control of it. The Bible says He controls and directs every lightning bolt, every flake of snow that falls. God is sovereign. Every event in our lives, nothing happens by accident. God is in absolute control. He does whatever He wants to. He directs all things, even the evil of men. He directs and causes that to serve His purpose. 
and accomplish His purpose. He is sovereign over all the events of history. He's sovereign over kings and rulers, angels and demons. You, you are here today because God wants you to be here and made sure that you were here. And some of you may feel like, boy, some, something has been directing my life. I feel like there's an invisible hand directing my life. Well, if, if you've felt like that, it's because God is drawing you and He has sovereignly arranged for you to be here. And you may say, well, I didn't even know I was going to come. Somebody asked me or I just decided at the last minute. Part of God's sovereign plan. God is sovereign over all events in history. And our passage begins with, in those days. In those days. Now, God had a perfect timing for the coming of Messiah. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. God had a perfect time and plan for when he wanted to send Jesus. And he also says this in his word, Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us before we could even do anything about coming to Him. While we were still ungodly, while the human race was in sin, while you were still in sin, He began to draw you to Himself. He died for us before we had any desire for Him. At the right time, at the right time in my life, Jesus began to do things in my life to get my attention. And to bring me to Himself. Daniel 2.21 says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. It is God who writes history. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. No one is in, in office by accident. It's because ultimately, in a sense, God placed them there. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, it says, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So God fixes times and seasons and events. And we see this here. He determined the time when Jesus would be born. God determined when you would be born. And He has set the time for each of us to die. He's numbered the days of our lives. He fixed the time when you would get married. Or He knows the time you will get married. He knows when you'll have a child. He's fixed the time you'll be at your job. He's determined the length, the exact length of times that we have to suffer in life. And if you are suffering, if you're going through a hard time, God knows the exact day and hour and minute and second that will end. Your suffering will not go on one second longer than God desires. So, if you are suffering, keep asking God to help you and deliver you and know that He's sovereign. 
I, I pray that all the time in different things I'm praying for. I'm say, I say, Lord, you are in control. You can, you can stop this anytime you want. So I pray, Lord, that you would please come and help this person to change this situation. I know, Lord, you're the one that's in control of this. No one else. See, at the time, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world. If he says something, you have to do it. Joseph didn't have any choice. Joseph couldn't say, hey, my wife is going to have a baby any day. I can't do that. No. Caesar declared it. It would appear that Caesar was the one who was in control of things. But just remember this. God is the one who's in control. Your boss is not in control. The President of the United States is not in control. No one is in control but God. He determines where we live. Think about it. You didn't pick the time you would be born. You didn't pick the century you'd be born in. You didn't pick the country you'd be born in. It's, it's just God that you were born wherever you were born. It's God that you're here now in this town, in this country. Some of you say, I hate Indiana. I wish I wasn't here in Indiana. God has placed you here. You never know. I was, my, my family, my dad was transferred here when I was 14 from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had no idea God's plans for my life. God determines that. He moves us where He pleases. And so verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now Nazareth... Nazareth was a small town in Galilee. Galilee was considered the sticks. Galilee was not considered a respectable, great region. People looked down. And so, in John 1.46, when Philip is told that Jesus is from Nazareth, remember what he said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, that, that's the, the way people thought about Nazareth. And Joseph was a carpenter, probably poor. Mary could have been as young as 13 or 14, maybe 16. And they'd been, Joseph had been living in Galilee, trying to eke out a living as a carpenter. And now he has to pack up his pregnant wife and go to the city of his birth, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. He had to go there because he was of the house and lineage of David. He was ultimately, he was descended from David, has to go this 80 miles from Bethlehem. Normally in that day, caravans would travel about 20 miles a day. So if they went with a caravan, uh, it would have taken them four days. Mary's heavily pregnant um, and one place that I read said for fear of miscarriage, they may have even gone less than 20 miles a day. They might have gone slower. So they're going on this hard journey. So can, can you ladies imagine if you were within a few days of having a baby and then having to get on a donkey for a week? I wonder if Joseph ever said to Mary what I said to Christy while she was in labor with our first child, Stephen. I said, well, you wanted this baby, right? 
Guys, don't ever say that to your wife. <laughs> I was kind of kidding, but it didn't go over real good. So I, I, I don't think Joseph probably said that to Mary uh, when she was... If I, if I were Joseph and had to did, do that, I, I would have been tempted to grumble, knowing me. Oh, I, gotta do, I can't believe I have to walk 80 miles to Steubenville. Joseph... He had not had it easy. First, he gets betrothed to Mary. Betrothal was like engagement, only more serious. You were, you were considered married, but not allowed to consummate your marriage till you were actually married. So during their betrothal, somehow Mary gets pregnant. She tells him that an angel appeared to her and told her the Holy Spirit would conceive a child in her. Well, at first he was going to divorce her. But then an angel appears to him and tells him that this child is going to be God. His life is pretty much thrown for a serious loop. He's coming to his hometown, his lineage, and he's got a pregnant wife. He's not married to her. And um, my, my child is God. I don't think he probably said that to anybody, but just he's in a he's in a tough situation, and now you know he's he's having a hard enough time explaining to his relatives his wife is pregnant, he's not going to divorce her, um, and now this pompous idiot Caesar decrees a census now of all times when we're just about to have a baby. This guy's ruining my life. He's in control, but God was in control. He moved upon Caesar's heart to declare this census so that he could get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill a prophecy in the Old Testament. Jesus, I've heard, I've read that Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies or more from the Old Testament. In Micah 5.2 it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, this tiny little town, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So God uses Caesar's bright idea to have a census, and He uses Caesar to get Joseph and Mary where He wants them to be. And so Psalm 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. And Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. So God turned Caesar's heart. God moved upon Caesar to do this. Caesar's heart was a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, we can know that whatever happens in our lives, God is in control and He is directing things. If others make bad decisions that affect our lives, we can feel like, oh man, this this other person made this decision and it's ruining my life. Well, God is in control. He has something good down the road for you. I believe that. What about you've made bad decisions? I mean, there are times that I think, oh man, why did I ever do that? 
I've made bad decisions as a Christian. Sometimes I thought I was doing the, I was doing something that was serving the Lord, and it turns out to backfire on me. And I've just made bad decisions at times in my life. I think of bad decisions I made before I was a Christian. But God is in control. You may even be suffering because of bad decisions you made. But God is in control. And He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. That's His promise. Even those bad decisions that we've made. God isn't up there in heaven saying, Oh no! I can't believe Mark decided to do that! Now what am I going to do? No. God, God is in control. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Psalm 138.8. Memorize that. Say that. Tell... Ask God to do that. Say it to yourself when you're in doubt. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. He has a purpose for every one of our lives and He will fulfill it. That, that, that's good news. No matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how much we mess up, God will fulfill His purpose for me. He has things for you to do. He's created good works for you to walk in. God has things for you to do in your life that will earn you rewards forever in heaven and bring glory to Jesus. He's, he's, he's planned things. He has a purpose for your life and He will fulfill it. So then verse 6 in our passage says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So God, in His perfect timing, Brought Jesus into the world. He is sovereign. Some of you may say, I don't, know if, I don't know if I'll ever get married. Well, I'm not promising you, but most of you who are single will someday be married. God's got a timing for you. Perfect timing. Don't worry about it. You don't have to go to ChristianMingle.com. Now, if you have gone to ChristianMingle.com, I'm not condemning you. It's not a sin to go to ChristianMingle.com. But God has a plan for you. He can make sure you meet someone, even in this town of Indiana. I had this friend when we were both young Christians. He said to me, did you ever, did you ever think maybe you were called to be celibate? And I said, oh, not thought about it too much. Have you? He said, yeah, for about 10 seconds. And I knew I wasn't. <laughs> Keep praying. Keep asking. Whatever you're facing, God has a perfect timing for you. Now, the humility of God. This is incredible. This passage contrasts this incredible God who created the galaxies and controls all things, and yet this incredible God humbled Himself. Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Mary and Joseph were betrothed 
They had not yet consummated their marriage. And now she gives birth to her firstborn child. She fulfills the prophecy of the angel Gabriel to her and has this baby, a human baby. I mean, Jesus was really human. He had to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. He couldn't even change his own diaper. He couldn't feed himself. He was totally dependent on his parents. He was completely powerless in his human nature. He was no different from any other baby. He didn't have a little halo behind his head, no matter what the pictures might portray him as. He, he didn't have a unique glow. I don't, I don't really believe it was a silent night. I believe he was crying, <laughs> like all babies do. might have been a silent night. I don't think it was, because he was like every other baby. How humbling of God. John 1.14 says, And the Word, the eternal Word of God who existed from all eternity, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, the Infinite One. There's no way to even measure His being. There is no boundaries to God. There was no... You couldn't say God is this big He's infinite. He took on flesh. He became flesh. And He lay in a manger. Jesus did this for the glory of His Father and because He loved us so much. And so Philippians chapter 2 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Have this mind among yourselves. Think like this is what Paul's saying. Have this mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus who though He was in the form of God means He was God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. Hey, I'm God. I'm going to keep this position of God. But He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself he humbled himself. He hid his glory by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That doesn't mean he was like men, but he wasn't really. He was a human being. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, Jesus, who was God, humbled Himself to become a human being and then to the point of death to die on the cross to pay for our sins and bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might 
bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. His human nature put to death that He took on to bring us to God. But made alive in the Spirit. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Bible says if we believe in Him, if we believe in Jesus, who is God, who became flesh, a man, who lived a sinless life of perfect obedience, died for our sins to pay for them on the cross and then rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. If we believe in Him, if we believe in Jesus, the Bible says we have everlasting life. And then Jesus will empower you. If, if you believe in Jesus, He will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to then put sin to death and to follow Him and obey Him and to become more like Him and to enjoy Jesus and to fellowship with Jesus and abide in Him. And we don't do any of that stuff to, to, to try to gain everlasting life. We, we receive everlasting life just by believing in Him. But then after we do receive it, then we begin to follow Him and obey Him and imitate His humility and serve others. And Jesus did all this for us. Laid in a manger, a feeding trough, humiliation, not a nice soft bed, not a royal palace, wrapped up in swaddling cloths. He, he, his mother didn't go on eBay and order the latest kind of swaddling cloths that are perfectly comfortable for a baby and all that kind of stuff. He, he was just wrapped up probably in whatever Mary had with her. Born in obscurity. No room in the inn. No one noticed. See, the, the, there was probably this pretty large inn in Bethlehem because it was so close to Jerusalem. But it was packed because of this census. And Joseph just didn't have the money to, just, to, to get a nice room. And so, they, they had to go out into this area where there were animals. I went to a sheep farm a couple years ago. Took my, a couple of my granddaughters out to a sheep farm. And no offense, Tim. You have some sheep, right? Goats. You have goats. Well, they didn't smell the greatest. <laughs> this manger didn't smell the greatest that Jesus was laid in. He wasn't, he wasn't in a fancy palace. One thing I studied said the stable was not infrequently a limestone cave. And there's a very ancient tradition that there was a cave of this description attached to the inn. At any rate, Jesus was born in obscurity for you and for me. He was born in poverty. He began his life in a horse trough. 
for you and me because He loves you. Because He loves me. He did it. He wouldn't have had to do it. He was God of the universe. He had everything He wanted. He was totally fulfilled, totally happy in His relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Totally no needs at all. It wasn't like He needed us to be fulfilled. He did it because He loves us for some unknown reason other than He loves us. His own reasons. His own glory. And so 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, He became poor. He did that for us. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich in Him. When we believe in Jesus, we gain not only everlasting life, but we are joined to Him. We become one with Him. And the Bible says we become joint heirs with Christ. We share in Jesus' reward for all He did. I don't know why. We become rich in Jesus. Spiritually rich. It's not talking about this world, but we become rich. And so, two things this should provoke in us as we meditate on what Jesus has done for us, the sovereign God humbling Himself. As we meditate on these things during this season and and beyond this season, this should be all year long, every day. First of all, we should worship Jesus And give Him thanks all the days of our lives that He would do this for us. That He would humble Himself. Become weak flesh for us. And thank Him. We should thank Him every day. Every day as soon as we wake up, as soon as our minds begin to function, we should say, Jesus, thank You for saving me. Thank You for protecting me during the night. Thank You for the gift of sleep. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies that are new every morning. Thank You, Jesus. I, I, I want to be increasingly thankful all the days of my life because of what Jesus has done for me. And secondly, first of all, worship Him, thank Him. Secondly, we should imitate Jesus. In the verses I read earlier from Philippians, remember? It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, trying to promote yourself because you're so great. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Just like Jesus did. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, we're not more significant than Jesus. Obviously, He's God. But He counted us as more significant than Himself by what He did. And so we are to imitate Him. And then verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's, it's not saying don't care about yourself. It says look not only 
to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, which is what Jesus did. He was God for, for all eternity. He could have just only looked to his own interests, but he didn't. He looked to our interests and humbled himself. And so Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this as your mindset. Make this your constant state of mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who for our sake emptied himself, became a servant, obedient to the cross for us. So, God is sovereign over all the events of history and over every single Thing in your life. Nothing happens to you and me outside God's plan. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. If, if there's one or two things that you remember from this message today, I hope you remember Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me even if I don't know what His purpose for me is. This sovereign God will fulfill. Believe in Jesus today. If you, if you haven't yet believed in Him, He's drawing you. I believe He's drawing you. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, if I am lifted up, and He was talking about the cross, I will draw all men to Myself. I believe in if you're here, He's drawing you. You're not here by accident. It's God's sovereign plan that you're hearing this. And if you say, like someone said to me not long ago, I feel like there's this invisible hand behind me pushing me. It's not an accident. God humbled Himself. God humbled Himself because He loves you so much. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? I have never humbled myself anything near like that because I love someone. So let's, let's remember that and let's, let's seek to imitate Jesus in His humility as we serve one another, as we serve others, as we lay down our lives, as we consider others more important than ourselves. Let's remember this sovereign God who humbled Himself because He loved us so much. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for all You've done for us. Thank You. We worship You. We thank You. We adore You as the Lord of lords and King of kings, the sovereign God. We adore You that You are in control of every detail of our lives. And we also adore You and thank You for what You did for us, Jesus, in humbling Yourself and dying for us. We just thank You, Lord. We pray that these truths would fill us with joy and thanks and worship all the days of our lives, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen.